dissonance. Dissonance, technically a lack of harmony among musical notes, but also more generally refers to various states of incongruity in our experience. When something's incongruous, something is dissonant. On this last Sunday after Pentecost, which is widely known as Christ the King Sunday, I experienced some degree of dissonance with all this stuff about kings and crowns and glory of majesty of royalty. And I expect if you ever gave it any thought, many of you would experience a little dissonance in this today as well. Governor Oglethorpe could have celebrated Christ the King without irony. He was always one for kings. Uh, If the feast had in fact been promulgated in his day, it's a pretty recent thing. He might well have imagined as he did a sort of utopian colony in which the worthy poor could work off their debts free from the burdens of the demon rum. He wanted no rum in the colony. That didn't last long. He wanted... He wanted no lawyers. How about that one? They thought people could speak for themselves. He wanted no slaves and succeeded in that for a little while until people realized that cotton was a good business. And he wanted no papists because he thought they were untrustworthy as he tried to hold at bay the the Spaniards coming from the the south. Utopia perhaps, but not a vision that was realized in any respect. But he would have had no difficulty with the idea of a colony with a king. The Sunday of Christ the King, as it is called by uh, Roman Catholics, came to us when the feast was introduced in 1925 by Pius XI, who was alarmed at growing nationalism and secularism he saw around him. He wanted to raise up a unifying vision over national interests, one which he had a lot to do with. So there's a matter of politics in there too for Roman Catholics. But in 1970, Uh, Pope Paul VI moved the feast to this Sunday of the year and began celebrating it as a a vision of the final majestic vision of God's glory where all is made well, where there is peace with justice for all uh, in this this future that we envision, the promise of, of everything being all right for everybody. And then in 1983, the ecumenical movement started talking about the lectionary, the one we use today, the thing that determines what scriptures we use, and and Anglicans and Episcopalians and Lutherans and others started picking up uh, this feast and calling this Sunday something like Christ the King Sunday. It was an upgrade for the Lutherans, who used to call it Day of Doom Sunday. (laughs) There, There you go. I'm surprised that we took to it so readily, given... Uh, particularly the origins of the Episcopal Church, which were made very difficult because our bishops after the, after the Amer- American Revolutionary boot was put in Lord Cornwallis's rump and he was sent packing back to king and country, there was a problem getting someone who would consecrate a bishop who wasn't willing to swear allegiance to the crown. And so Seabury, who'd been sent off from Connecticut, he went to Scotland, where the Scottish Episcopal Church is not a national church. You you may know this, but the Church of Scotland is Presbyterian to this day. So it's in the Scottish Episcopal Church, they don't have to swear allegiance to the crown. So these bishops who have more literal than metaphoric sheep in their diocese uh, agreed to consecrate Seabury and send him back to us. And so even at the beginning of the Episcopal Church, royalty was a problem. And so having this feast is sort of dissonant. It's a wrong note somewhere. It's just a bit odd. 
Now, it's ameliorated slightly for me because we actually and officially call this the, today the Reign of Christ Sunday in an attempt to emphasize the relational aspect of the rulership rather than the positional authority of the ruler. We're trying to emphasize the promise that in time the whole universe will be in alignment with the Messiah and so peace with justice, the essence of salvation will be available and made manifest for all. And, it, and the lectionary takes it further and gives us this reading of the crucifixion. I mean, how dissonant is that? This great celebration, Advent coming up, Christmas, and we're talking about death right in the middle of this last day of the year. The lectionary reminds us that Jesus' throne is a cross, that power is made manifest in weakness, and that kingly titles are the source of irony. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then the thief asks to be remembered when Jesus comes into his kingdom, which might better be translated reign or rulership. His authority comes from his life of integrity and not the nobility of his birth. It comes from the power of his presence and not some titled authority. And the vision of this feast, likewise, is about relational reality more than temporal power. Now, I confess to a personal affection for at least one particular constitutional monarchy that comes to mind, personal thing. <laughs> but my most profound religious and political sentiments lead me to dissonance today. And while I'm being honest, there's much in our regular worship, actually, that I find dissonant at various times and places and seasons and it may be true for many here, but it's certainly true in our wider culture that, that what, what we do in worship just feels kind of odd. That we're celebrating covenant community today. The, the members and the residents and the alumni and the men of hope and the board and the advisory board were celebrating all that. And I remember some years ago I was meeting with the chaps regularly over in the house. And, uh, and, and when they got to trust me a little bit, said... You know, I remember one guy said, Jeffrey, what's, what are you doing over there? And another one said, hey, what's with the music, man? You know, <laughs> it was just, for them, just like a different planet is what, what we're doing here. And I get that there is this, this dissonance. And I can do, I've found ways to talk about it. I get what we're doing today. And I spend a lot of time translating what we're doing into ways that I can apprehend and, and I can teach it, and I can get to grips with the word kingdom, essentially about, in our tradition, going all the way back to Jeremiah and the shepherd king. I don't run into a lot of shepherds these days. Um, but, it's, it's get, but I get that it embodies righteousness, that at the heart of what's important is right relationship. But this cultural and spiritual experience of dissonance that many of us have much of the time is growing because our world is changing. And it's crying out for attention. And over the next year or so, I will initiate and find a way to have some broad conversation about worship, about what we're doing, about orienting ourselves or being turned to what, re what really matters such that it shapes our lives and calls us to, to deeper integrity and courage and freedom and generosity and so on. A conversation about where and when we actually worship and how that is related, if it is, to what we attempt to do here on Sunday mornings and what that means for our community. But in the meantime, I want us to think about these experiences of distance. We have them everywhere. It's not just church. 
What do we do when we come across them, become aware of dissonance in our lives? And most of the time, we prefer not to become aware of it. We seek, we seek harmony. We want to put things right. I, I'll never forget the first time I heard a composition by Arnold Schoenberg. Some of you may know him, an expressionist composer. Incredibly discordant, nasty, in my view, first time hearing it, music. And so what do I do? I don't listen to it anymore. You know, I don't deal with it. I mean, I'm sure it's interesting and important, and I'm glad some people like it, but I don't have to mess with that. So I deal with dissonance by just denying it. Get rid of it. Get it out of the way. Um, in the same way, we might, without knowing it, find what happens here on Sunday morning somehow a little less compelling, a little less essential, less obviously gratifying than we would like, and so it becomes easier to skip on this day or that, in spite of endless sermons by Jeffrey about the importance of the practice of worship if we wish to grow in faith. So we try and deny, but if we're going to do something more than that, we're going to just stop pretending for a moment and think about it rather than just allow our subconscious reactions to govern our choices, then we will frequently move from denial to looking for a technical solution for this discomfort that goes with dissonance. With church, we try and fix the problem to make it go away. You know, it's the music. It's the organ. It's the preaching. Well, not really. <laughs> the pews wreak havoc on my back. Fix the pews. We're actually going to do that. The coffee is better at Starbucks. Indisputable. <laughs> but these all fall into the category of finding technical fixes for problems that can be solved by changing this or that, rather than seeing and hearing dissonance as a spiritual challenge, calling us to a re-examination of what we do and why we do it. And so if we're not going to ignore it, repress, deny, and if we're not going to try and make a technical fix, then the third response is to find some kind of revelation, some kind, rest some kind of meaning from this experience. As a schoolboy, I acted in a lot of plays, and there were plays that were very popular by playwrights, probably not a household word, called Bertolt Brecht. And they were very popular because Brecht wrote plays for large casts. And so if you're a school, you can get lots and lots of people in the play. And that's why we did all these rather obscure Brecht plays. But one of the things that Brecht did was he didn't like people getting lost in the play, in the drama. And so he would interrupt the productions from time to time come in and have a tantrum, basically, on stage and stop the action. I mean, remember, you paid for your ticket. You're enjoying the play, and here comes this German, or whatever he was, ranting about, you need to wake up. You need to not just get lost in the story. You need to think about what's going on. You need to get its meaning. And he would essentially create dissonance. So one of his plays is The Life of Galileo. And it's not just a history about how systems can repress truth and how, uh, in that event, the church couldn't hear Galileo's insight. It's not just that. It's, a com it's his commentary on fascism and nationalism and Nazism. And, and he, he wanted people to wake up and see what was going on. He wanted the dissonance to create meaning, uh, a deeper revelation, a call to move deeper into the life of society or, or perhaps, in our case, deeper into God. And if that's possible, then that opens a fourth way for us. Not just denial, not just technical fix, but if there's a possibility of resting meaning, then there's a fourth 
thing we can do, and that is embrace it. Embrace dissonance. That's hard to do. It's not unlike what those of you who came to Barbara Brown Taylor's Woodall lecture here. It's not unlike what she was talking about. Embrace these difficult experiences. Finding, for example, that this day, this reign of Christ day, is not simply a minor irritant, but a reminder of our most fundamental hope that there can be and will be peace with justice for all people, that God is working God's purposes out, that we are moving into a, the reality of grace and the reality of change, a deeper grasp of the reality that we are part of that, that we are part of God's enterprise as we live more fully into righteousness or right relation, the relation that is the heart of the structure of the universe as, 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 as things are drawn to each other and drawn away from each other over huge distances in the structure of the universe. So with us, we seek to get closer to the source of our own lives, the love that made us for love. I don't know where a broad conversation about worship will lead, but for today again, I hear the call back to right relationship in these images of the, the, the man of integrity, the son of man, the complete human, the king of the Jews, and even Christ the king, suffering the consequence of human greed and human power and human veniality and human sin, and in that, on that throne, unveiling a real hope, a different way, a new possibility. And so in a time of silence for prayer, our usual time of silence, I invite you to listen for dissonance in your own life, not just today, but in the weeks to come. It may be ringing in your ears, or it may be a discordant, distant note somewhere that you'd rather not go. But in any event, listen. And trust that if you don't rush to fix it, or make it go away, trust that in the listening you will be led more deeply into the source of your own life, more deeply into the mystery at the center of the universe, the love that made you for love. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.